in soccer, uh, maybe that's basketball, maybe it's American football, maybe it's baseball, or for some of us, maybe it's even dance. Uh, think of your favorite athlete, and then I wanted you to think about that athlete and, and understand how they actually view food itself. You know, many of the elite athletes, you, you know, your favorite athlete, they would view food as fuel, not just food for consumption. And what I mean by that is that when they actually view food, they actually look at it knowing that if they put the right food in their body, it will enable them to actually perform at a peak and optimal level. You know, think about a bodybuilder, for example, when a bodybuilder tries to sculpt his body or sculpt her body in a certain kind of way, you know, they'll focus on protein and they'll focus on amino acids, you know, because it will help them to gain some strength. It will help them to actually look a certain way that their body is designed to actually look at. You know, outside of many of us, you know, who may be not an elite athlete or a bodybuilder, you know, maybe we just eat food to consume it, you know, but we're not actually thinking about fuel for our body because it actually leads to a certain outcome. You know, I give you that illustration today is because I want to begin to share with you as we read these passages again in John chapter six, that God wants us to view himself as food. He wants us to understand that as we actually consume him, it will be able enable us to begin to have a kind of peak performance of how he designs us to actually live our life. And what I want to begin to share with us is that God says that if you consume me, that you'll have the, a kind of life that is greater than anything that you could ever imagine. So the message today that we're, sh we're sharing is eat to live. You know, eat on God in a way that enables us to live the life that God desires. And I want to do that by going back to the beginning scriptures that we read in verse 48 and begin to unpack, you know, some of these things that God is actually sharing with us. In verse 48, we first hear the words of Jesus Christ say, I am the bread of life. And as we um, understand these words, what I wanted to do is first give us a little bit of context so we understand what we're actually reading and what we're actually discussing together. Um, this word that we're reading today in verses 48 through 58 are some words where Jesus Christ spoke to a crowd of disciples that were following him. Those who actually saw his signs and his wonders and his miracles, such as feeding 5,000 people with just a couple of scraps of bread and a couple of scraps of fish. But he actually made this miracle so significant that people said, I got to keep following him. I got to keep actually coming to him because he can provide something that I've never seen be provided in my life. You know, it's kind of like that point where I said that at Common Church, we want to all of us to discover something more about God that we've never discovered before in our life. And so that's what they experienced. They experienced something beautiful, something magnificent in God, and they began to follow him. But as they began to follow him, you know, Jesus Christ cautioned them and he said, I don't just want you to follow me because I can actually provide great food for you. I want you to follow me because you understand that I am something that you need in every single area of your life. I want you to follow me so much to the point where you actually begin to consume all that I am. That's what he's saying in these verses. And so when he starts with verse 48, he had them draw back, you know, to an experience of where their forefathers actually experienced. And he said that I am the bread of life. 
And what that truly means is that that's going back to the experience that the Israelites had, uh, the Jews had when they were actually were leaving uh, the land of Egypt, when they crossed over the Red Sea and God wanted to take them to a new land called the promised land of God. In that time, they were a people who did not quite have a great relationship with God. So God put them in the wilderness. You know, he had them actually eat manna, you know, miraculous bread from heaven uh, so that they could actually do one thing. And I'm actually going to read that now. And if you want to turn there with me, um, I want you to understand what he means when he says that I am the bread of life. Uh, you can find it in actually in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16. And he, he begins to share with us these powerful words that he's kind of quoting here. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16, he says that God fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might do these things, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. You know, that he might humble you and test you and do you good in the end. And so what I'm trying to share with us is God is trying to bring their minds to this great experience that their forefathers had. You know, this great experience where for 40 years they ate nothing but manna. God would actually, every single morning, just send down from the heavens this miraculous bread they, got, they actually needed to eat. And God said, I did this for this reason so that it might humble you and actually test you. You know, another way of being able to say that is to be able to understand what God wanted them to do was to live a life that was completely dependent upon God. You know, a life where they had decided that the only thing that I need to do is to actually live and be consumed with God because he will actually provide everything that I actually need in life. You know, imagine that, you know, that that's what God may want for our own lives is that we actually get to a place where we say, God, everything I need is actually found in you. Everything that I do can actually be found when I actually come to you and just be consumed by you. And, and I want us to think about this too. When, when you go back to this experience that the children of Israel have, understand that God actually gave them 40 years of just eating manna, 40 years that it would take them to be totally consumed by God to the point where they actually understood how to depend on them. You know, 40 years. And so some of us are not even 40 years old yet to be able to think about a life of being totally consumed by God. And it's a process for us to be consumed by God in the way that God truly desires us to be consumed. And so I'm starting to reveal my hand a little bit about what I think God desires us to know in this, in this passage. But God wants us to look at him as a certain kind of entity and a certain kind of reality that we feed on consistently so that to the point where we begin to trust in him and depend on him for all that we actually need. And I'm gonna to start to explain that by going back to these scriptures in John chapter six, verse 48 and 49 and 50 a little bit, because that's the context that we read. We, we, we understood the story from the Jewish perspective in 48, 49 and 50, but now I wanna to begin to give us a challenge because what he, what he did here is that he gave them this challenge, just as I'm giving you a challenge today is that, I want us to think about how can we truly consume our life with all that God actually wants us to consume our life with. And, and before even we get into the details, I, I think some of us, when we hear about that word, be consumed by God, we might say, well, I, I don't want that much of God. You know, all I want to do is to be able to uh, receive the eternal life that God has provided for me 
and to be able to, you know, have some blessings here and there. You know, I don't want to be a holy roller. I don't want to be a person that is so religiously minded that, that there's no other fun in my life that I can actually do. And I wanted to share with us, I don't think that that's what God is actually saying at all. I don't think that he's trying to give us this, this boring picture of life. You know, in fact, I think quite opposite, you know, is that whenever you think about who God is, you think about him as the creator of the world. He's the one who's actually designed life. He's, he's created us for a purpose. And in that kind of sense, that means that everything is of God's oyster. You know, everything is of his beauty. Everything is of his brilliance. And God actually wants those who he has given and created in this world to also enjoy what he has created as well. And, um, you know, this took a while for me to understand. And so maybe, you know, you might feel the same way is that you've seen how people in the church act. You've seen how religious people act. And you see, you see that the life that they live is only consumed within the church. The life that they live is only consumed with reading God's word and, and, and singing hymns and singing songs, and there's nothing other room for their life. And that could be very true. And I wanted us to even think about this. You know, as I, I go forward, there was a, a beautiful question that um, one of my mentors received from somebody else who was in ministry for a long time. And I wanted to read this question directly to you so that you can understand um, just how some people actually view being consumed by God. He asked one of my mentors, he says, he asked him this question. What do you do in your spare time when you leave the church? You know, when, you, when you're not ministering to people. He says, we, he, the, the person who asked this question said this next statement. He said, we really don't know what to do as far as entertainment. You know, other than spend time in the word of God, he asked my mentor, what do you do to entertain yourself? You know, great question that, that some of us may have, because we may think that if you become a person that's a Christian, become, become a religious person, that you can't do anything but just read the word of God all and all and all and all and all, all, all over your life. Well, here was this great question. He says that, you know, do whatever you can do uh, to actually find enjoyment in life. And he said that just as I am saying it to you today, because God has created life for us to enjoy. You know, there's a beautiful passage that actually helped me to, to really unlock what this could actually look like in my life. And I want to read that to you. It's found in Psalm 19. And I just want to read one verse in Psalm 19 to kind of unlock some of this, this idea as well. In Psalm 19 and verse one, these words are written by the psalmist David. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. I want to read that again. The heavens proclaim the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. And so when I read that verse, I understand that what God is really saying to us is I have created everything and I enjoy everything and it demonstrates my glory. And so that also means that if God created everything and he enjoys his joys, the things that he's created, we should enjoy them as well. You know, my wife and I, we just came from a couple days of actually spending some time together trying to enjoy the things that God has actually provided for us. And so we went up to Austin and we actually spent some time. I played a little bit of golf. You know, we walked around nature. Uh, we enjoyed uh, some of the things of the scenery that was there. If we wanted to, we could have went horseback riding or we could have went fishing. Uh, we rode some bicycles while we were up there. And the point I'm trying to make is that God created all those things so that we can actually enjoy them and actually have a little fun, have a little entertainment. And what I mean by that is that whatever God has actually provided us to do in this world actually demonstrates him and actually gives him glory. We can actually see God in the things that we are experiencing in life. You know, we even 
uh, went out to the campsite that they had at that resort, and, and we um, we we toasted some marshmallows and we made some s'mores, and and we enjoyed that time as well. And all those things give us a, a majesty about who God is. We can recognize that God is part of all those experiences. And it means that we don't have to live a boring life in God when we are consumed by God. And so that's the key that I really wanted to make sure that we understand. As I begin to talk about being consumed by God, it doesn't mean that you have to live a boring life. You know, because God created all things and we can enjoy all the things that God has actually created us to do. But we do uh, want to be able to experience some wisdom, you know, as we live a life in God. And that doesn't mean that we should live a life of carousing, you know, bar hopping and, and gambling and things of that nature, which doesn't glorify God. So I say it this way, whenever we're consumed by God, do the things that actually glorify God. Enjoy the things that God has actually glorified God. And there's plenty of things that we can actually enjoy, you know, in this world to be able to do it. So as you think about that, you know, understand that I wanted to say that first, you know, before we got even into more of the depths of the scripture, because I wanted us to be free, you know, be able to read this and say that God is inviting me and inviting you and inviting all of us into his world to actually enjoy all the things that God actually has for us. Well, as they were hearing the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter six, you know, they began to dispute among themselves these things that God was saying through Jesus Christ, that he wanted them to eat him. And uh, they said, they asked this question, you know, how can we actually eat his flesh and actually drink his blood? And I wanted us to talk about that today because we had a conversation earlier this week that you may not have been able to hear, you know, in our, in our hour power time together. And many of us, as we talked about this passage, we understood that God was probably giving us figure of speak language. You know, figure of speak language, meaning that God wasn't literally telling us that we needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. In another way, he was trying to open our eyes to be able to understand how much we needed to be consumed by God. And that's really what I want us to understand is when God is saying to us, you know, to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, he's saying in another way, you know, compare what you live in me as if it's real food. You know, if we know that, you know, we eat real food today, it's going to provide us with sustenance. It's going to provide us with the, the nutritional value that we actually need to be energized and actually live life. Well, God also says to you and I, that man should not live by bread alone, but should live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so what that means to you and I is that we should live a life that is totally consumed by God because of how much God says that we need him. And we might not realize that we need God that much, but if God gives us the right perspective, he is enabling us to say that you do need me more than you can ever possibly know that you actually need me. And so that means that God wants us to be in a kind of training mode for his word when we actually come to read it. Just as the children of Israel for 40 years were, were receiving the man of God so they can actually learn to depend on him. When you and I think about being consumed by God himself, we should be able to come to the word of God, understanding that it actually begins to train us so that we can actually live the way that God actually desires us to live. And so I wanted to start to break some of this down for us because, man, this is some good stuff that I think is life-changing for each and every one of us, no matter how high you are in the Word of God or if you're just beginning in the Word of God. And I wanted to start by going back a little bit in the first scripture. And what I wanted to show you is verse 40. 
in John chapter 6. In verse 40 in John chapter 6, it says these words. And if you can have your Bibles, you can look on me, uh, look with me with your eyes at these words on your own Bible. It says, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks at the Son of God and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so this, this idea that we, we are talking about in the book of John always has to do with believing who Jesus Christ is and looking upon him and knowing that when we do that, we'll receive eternal life. Well, now look at, because you've read verse 40, I want you to look at verse 54. And in verse 54, he says the words very similar that he says in verse 40, but he says it by using the food illustration. He says in verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And so in, the, in essence, if you look at and compare the two, verse 40 and verse 54, they really said the same thing because at the end of the day, God says that I will raise him up and on the I will raise him up on the last day. But it says that he takes, it takes us to be able to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to be raised up on the last day. And so what I'm really trying to get us a correlation to say, believing all that God is, is very similar to what God is trying to say it means to actually eat his flesh and actually drink his blood. You know, the word uh, eat his flesh here is very fascinating because it's a, it's a word in the, in the original language that, that literally says chago. And the word means actually to munch. It means to, to nimble. It means to, um, to slowly eat. And it's fascinating that God is not saying that I just want you to gulp me down, you know, in one instance. But he says, I want you to munch on me. I want you to gnaw on me. I want you to slowly eat all that I am. And what God is really trying to tell all of us is that there are, there are times where we just need to be consumed with God, you know, daily in our life because it's going to produce something in us. There's other ways to be able to say it. And sometimes we need to just slow down and just meditate on the things that God says in his word because it begins to transform our mind. It begins to transform our heart in the way that actually God desires us to actually begin to live. I also want to read for us verse 57 as we are just digging deeply into, you know, this passage of scripture. In verse 57, it says, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. You know, powerful words is that when you think about uh, what God is truly saying in verse 57 is that if we are not truly munching on God, if we're not chewing on God, then we really are not living life. <laughs> and I, and I want to just, just think about what that really can mean. It's kind of like we're, we're, we are zombies in this world if we are not living in, in a way where we are consuming on God consistently. We may think that there are things that we are experiencing in God, but we're really not experiencing anything. It's kind of like we are the walking dead. And God actually wants to waking us to have true life. He wants to awaken us to actually have true experience that truly give us all the things that God actually desires. And that's why it's so important to actually gnaw on God, to chew on God, because God is saying to you, unless you chew on me, unless you meditate on all the things that I say, then you will actually leave yourself empty to actually experience the life that I truly desire us to experience. Well, what does God want us to experience when we actually true on him? You know, that, that's, that should be our next question. And one of the things that I wanted to share with us today is, uh, is that when God actually says chew on him, I want us to think about who he really is. And as we think about who Jesus Christ really is today, 
You know, I love the fact that the Bible actually calls him prophet, it calls him priest, and it also calls him king. And so what that means to me, and I hope it means to you, is that we should be gnawing on Jesus, chewing on Jesus, as if he is the prophet for our life, you know, first and foremost. And when we chew on Jesus Christ as the prophet for our life, that means that he'll begin to explain revelation to us. He'll begin to give us insight that we actually need for our life eternally, but also for our life in the every single day. And I know I need that in my life, and I pray that you actually need that as well, is that there are times where I actually desperately need to hear God tell me what I need to do on a day-to-day basis. Well, if he's the prophet in my life, then he'll be able to reveal to me what I need to hear, what I need to know. But I first got to recognize that he is the one that I need to feed on. You know, there's other sources that I can feed on. I can feed on the internet. You know, I can go to Google and I can feed on Google all day long. You know, I can feed on self-help books or I can actually choose to recognize that there is a prophet in my life named Jesus Christ, who I can actually feed on, who will give me direction and all the things that I actually need in my life. The second thing that Jesus Christ is, is he is our priest. And when you think about a priest itself in the Old Testament, it was an individual who was able to intercede for any negative thing that happened in your life. You know, fascinating that there are certain sins that happened in the Old Testament that resulted in sickness, that resulted in possibly even death. And so they would consistently come before the priest, you know, tell them, hey, I got this issue in my life. I want to bring this to you so that you can actually anoint me and that you can actually cleanse me from all sin because I don't want to see any more trouble happen in my life. And so Jesus Christ is our priest, meaning that we should examine our life consistently over and over again to make sure that there is nothing, um, there is nothing that is wrong in our life called sin that we are actually doing either intentionally or unintentionally that Jesus Christ needs to cleanse us for. And so we don't actually need to go specifically to a person, another priest to actually get this kind of cleansing. Jesus Christ is our cleanser. So we need to be feeding on him daily over and over again in in our life to be able to say, Lord, you know, when I said this thing wrong to that individual, I want to bring that to you in prayer. I want to be able to confess that before you because I want to be cleansed by you because you're my priest. You're the one who actually anoints me and actually atones from all the sin that is in our life. And sometimes I think that we as a community, we as a church, uh, both locally, you know, in our body called Common Bond Church, but also universally as a church as a whole, we don't talk about the fact that we need the priest of God, Jesus Christ, desperately in our life. You know, 1 John chapter 1 tells us that if we confess our sins, you know, consistently over and over again, that God is able to cleanse us from all sin and all unrighteousness. And so daily, I think that you, just as I do, need to be coming to God in my prayer life to say, Lord, you know, I want you to cleanse me from all my sin. I want you to be able to recognize that I know that there are things that I don't do that's always right. Lord, can you forgive me? And can you actually make me whole and righteous in you? When we do those kind of things in God, God says that he actually begins to point us in the right direction. And not only uh, points us in the right direction, but just as we were talking about some of the things that we come from God, God be able, enables us to have that kind of peace. You know, he clears our conscience and that enables us to think rightly of our own self because now God is actually thinking rightly of ourselves. And so if we need peace, you know, sometimes we've got to consume 
who Jesus Christ is in the area of his priesthood, recognizing that he needs to cleanse us and give us the joy. Because until we actually are cleansed from sin consistently, we won't be joyful people because there'll be a cloud of shame. There's a cloud of sin that is revolving around us that is always just carrying baggage on us. But whenever we actually come to Jesus Christ confessing our sin, we actually just put those bags right at his feet and we begin to receive a, a refreshing that only Jesus Christ can actually receive for us. And the, the, the third thing that the Bible actually describes Jesus Christ is, is king. And I love kings. You know, I, you know, my favorite king in the Bible is actually King David himself. And when King David actually uh, lived the life. He was the ultimate ruler. He was the ruler who was able to provide provision for people's life. He was the ruler who was able to, to give people practical means of how to actually live life on this earth. And that's actually what a king is responsible for. You know, a king is responsible for leading us in the direction that we actually need in life. And, you know, in our context, you know, sometimes, you know, the kings in our life, you know, are the political leaders or the kings in our life our business owners, or the kings of our life, or the people who have means in this kind of world. And that's who Jesus Christ is as well. He's a, he's a king of kings. And what that means to you and I is that he can actually show us how to practically be successful in every single area of life. I want to say that again. He can actually teach us how to be practical in every single area of our life. And I, I remember, you know, back in, you know, my corporate days, you know, that you know, I always went into the office, you know, saying to God himself, Lord, I don't just work for this job. I actually work for you. And there's a scripture that actually teaches that in Colossians where it says that, you know, work unto man as if you are working toward the Lord himself. And we work unto the Lord himself. That means that, Lord, I'm actually going into this marketplace and I'm not seeing it as just a place to actually make money, but I'm actually seeing it as a place where I can actually demonstrate my kingship and the relationship that you actually have for me in this world and in this society. And I believe that God wants us all to actually stand up strong on the marketplace. You know, wherever you work, I think that God is actually going to use you and use me to be able to be an example to others of what it actually looks like to be a Christian in this world. And that's who Jesus Christ is. He's the king of kings, which means that he is a literal king in this world to actually show all the other kings in this world how life is actually supposed to be lived. And so he can be also be a king in business. You know, he can be a king uh, in the nonprofit world. He can be a king wherever that you are. And if we actually learn how to be consumed in him, we can actually learn to be a little king. You know, we can actually learn to actually demonstrate his authority exactly the way that God actually wants us to demonstrate his authority. And I wanted to speak about that a little bit before, because when we are actually ever able to demonstrate the authority of Jesus Christ, we understand that he does it through a servant leadership mentality. You know, so even this week, as we begin to celebrate the Passover, and as we begin to celebrate Jesus Christ coming to Calvary and being able to die for our sins, before he did that thing, he actually did something beautiful for us is that he gave us an illustration of what it actually means to actually live life on authority, live life in leadership. And so he took his 12 disciples, you know, early in the week and he began to uh, lay them all before them and he got on his knees. He got on his knees and he took all of their feet. He took the, the sandals off of them and he began to dip them in water and began to wash their feet. And as he dipped them in water and he washed their feet, he said to all his disciples, and he says to us today, 
that if you ever want to have authority in this world, if you ever want to be a leader in this world, the very first thing that you must do is be willing to serve people. You know, serving people is the ultimate expression of being a king according to Jesus Christ. And so God wants us and he wants all of us to learn if we're going to walk in his authority, walk in his leadership. It's not really about what we know, how skilled we are, how talented we are, but how willing are we to be able to be servants of him? You know, servants like he was to be able to sacrificially give our life to others in the way that says, I want to make sure that you're right. I want to make sure that you're taken care of well, because when you're doing that, you are encouraging others. You are uplifting them up because that's what God actually did for us. And that leads us to even thinking about who he ultimately is on the cross. You know, he came in this world on the flesh and he died as a sacrifice for us so that we may live. You know, not so that he would actually get ultimate benefit from his own expression as a leader, but so that we might live. You know, it was a sacrificial expression so that we, you and I could actually have the life that actually God desired for us. And that's how we begin to consume on Jesus Christ. And so, you know, when we think about eating to live today, you know, I want us to think about, you know, those areas that I mentioned in my, in this message today. You know, I mentioned three areas where we actually can need to consume on Jesus Christ more and more. You know, maybe in, in some areas of our life, we need to consume on him as the prophet in our life. Meaning I need to come and open up these words of scripture. And Lord, I need to say, Lord, speak to me. You know, give me the revelation that I actually need for my life so that I can begin to live it in the way that you actually desire me to live it. You know, I wanted to make sure that I said this as we are sharing this message and sharing this conversation together, as we begin to hear God's word, one of the keys that God is saying is that, you know, when you come to him, you're coming because you're, you're, you're attempting to obey him more. You're coming to him in the word because you want to be able to, to know that he is the prophet that has something in my life. And when I hear it, I want to receive it. I want to believe it. And now I want to obey it because without obeying what God says in his world, you can experience all the things that God has life for us. And so I encourage us today to think about gnawing on Jesus Christ, gnawing on his word, not only to gain knowledge, because knowledge pops up as the scripture says, but actually gnaw on his word and actually feed it so that we can actually learn to obey all the things that God is saying. Because as we obey all the things that God is saying, we start to experience the life that God desires us to have. And so again, I mentioned that the first thing that we want to think about is actually gnawing on Jesus Christ, eating his word, consuming him as if he's the prophet in our life. The second thing that we actually want to experience in Jesus Christ when we are consumed by him is that he is the priest for our life. And that primarily means that we need to look at our life consistently uh, from an error perspective, from a sin perspective, recognizing that we need to be cleansed from God over and over again. We need to be looked at God from a right perspective so that we maintain a healthy and perfect relationship with God. And I think that that is so key and so important, but sometimes we fail in that area because we don't see the significance of saying, Lord, I've erred today. Lord, I've spoken wrong to this individual. Lord, I've done something I know that your word hasn't called me to do. But we actually need to be coming back to God consistently because righteousness and holiness is a true ideal that God is and the ideal that he actually desires us to be as his children uh, in him. And then the third thing I want us to think about when we actually are consumed by Jesus Christ, eating to live, is making sure that we actually recognizing that he is a king. 
You know, he's a practical king, just as there are other leaders that have authority in this world. And God also wants us to recognize that he's called us. We are little kings in him. And he wants us to recognize how to begin to uh, demonstrate his authority by being leaders in this world. And as we are leaders in this world, we will take the approach of actually serving people, loving them, caring for them in the way that actually God actually desires us to actually do so. And so that's our message today. And so I'm, I'm asking us this last question. As we think through, you know, that message today, where are you at with eating to live in Christ Jesus? You know, how consumed are you in his word? How consumed are you in God? You know, I want us to think about Jesus Christ in a personal way. You know, when I think about all the relationships that I have in my life, you know, today, I know that there are certain things that I connect with better than others. You know, there are certain individuals that I know that if I actually want to go running with, I know who to call. Or if I want to play golf, I know who to call. Or if I want to even uh, read about, you know, certain biographical history, I know who to call. If I want to talk about business, I know who to call because I've got certain friends that I've built a certain kind of relationship with. And in the same kind of way, I want you to think about what kind of relationship do you have in Christ Jesus? You know, what kind of relationship do you need to grow? Do you need to actually see that uh, priest relationship grow in your life? Do you need to see that prophet relationship of Jesus Christ grow in your life? Do you need to see that king relationship grow in your life? Because that's where Jesus Christ wants you to grow. He wants you to eat to live so that you're consumed with all that he is, so that you can experience all that he actually has for you and for me. This message has been a blessing to you. I would love to connect with you in a greater way. You can visit us on our website at www.commonbondchurch.org and you can fill out a comment card or even give us a prayer request and we can connect with you. We're also available on social media through Instagram and Facebook and you can connect with us on those platforms. And as we close, I want to leave us with a word of benediction until we all see each other again. May the grace of God be with us. May the mercy of God be with us. We have one true Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let us all go in peace until we all see each other again. Amen.